right. Well, church, we are still in first, uh, chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians in our study. And I hope that you guys enjoyed having Josh here last week. We are blessed with the preachers that we have in this church. We're blessed to see the work that God is doing in Bridgepoint Church. As many of you know, we made a commitment a few years ago, uh, probably three years ago, to plant 20 churches in 20 years. And our hope and our plan and what we really believe will happen is that within the first five years, we really believe we might have the opportunity to have three of those churches planted and ready to roll. Shine is in a good position to start planting as well. Uh, we believe in the next year to year and a half that we could even see Shine Community plant their first church uh, and their commitment to plant one every five years. So God is moving and God is stirring. If you hadn't heard yet, Josh, also one of the things that was such a blessing, many of you have been praying for them to have a location, that has been the hardest thing so far is us finding a location for this church plant and a place called Ace Event Center that is in Nightdale near the food line there graciously offered them a contract that they were able to sign. So they have a place to meet now and hopefully January uh, they will be launching out of here. So continue to pray for Josh, continue to pray for Christy, continue to pray for Hepzibah and Shine as we continue seeing 20 churches planted in 20 years. I really believe, church, that probably what you're going to see is that I believe probably by the end of this, we'll see 40 churches planted in those 20 years. I really do believe that God is moving, and I'm grateful for all of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Josh spoke last week about the topic and about the issue of, of uh, really, well, let me put it this way. When, last week, what the first section was all about was it was about taking a look at Israel. If you remember, most of us in this life, we have a way that we can either learn for ourselves or we can learn through somebody else. Most of us, unfortunately, we have to learn our own way, right? We can be so hard-headed. But yet God gave an example in the first section, verses 1 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. He's been talking since chapter 8 about this issue of freedom about this issue of what do we do now that we are free in Christ? How do we live? How do we, how do we go about in this world? How do we look at others? How do we think about God's kingdom? Because indeed, we have been set free. And so we looked at Israel, and God provided for Israel. God protected Israel. What we find in the Old Testament Scripture is that the very presence of God dwelt with them. Wherever they were, there was a cloud, and there was a pillar of fire, and God met with them each and every time that they went to worship in that whole of holies literally they would go and the presence of God was there they saw his hand in victory after victory the story of the Old Testament is God being faithful but unfortunately the story of the Old Testament was also that though he was faithful the children of Israel were not faithful when you think about the story of Israel it really in many ways is a tragic story because for all that God did to set them free what they did with their freedom was tragic. You see, that's the thing. We as a country, we love freedom, don't we? We love to talk about freedom. I mean, many of us, listen, it almost becomes an idol in itself that we are a free people. But folks, I want you to know that freedom can be bad and freedom can be good. It matters what you do with freedom. And so last week, and actually... <laughs> Since chapter 8, we have been talking about Christian liberty. What does it look like? What does it mean? How does it affect every relationship? How does it affect the direction of our life? And this week, he's literally going to wrap up all of those chapters, 8, 9, and 10. And, and I, think that, I hope that you realize that this is a big issue for the church. Considering there were 16 chapters in this book that he wrote to them, to give three chapters to this single topic tells you that it matters how we use freedom. It matters what we do now that Christ has set us free. Just like he set the Israelites free from the bondage of Egypt, he has set us free from the bondage of sin. He has set us free so that we might love him and serve him and worship him and walk with him. And folks, I'm going to tell you, when you do those things, it changes everything about your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Let me read it for you, beginning there in 14. It says, Therefore, my beloved... So, so he's saying, Israel, you know about this topic. You know how dangerous idolatry is. And so he's looking at the Greeks. He's looking at the Jews that are there. He's looking at this body of believers, and he's saying, Listen, you've seen 
the example of Israel, what idolatry did to them, how they misused their freedom. He says, therefore, my beloved, I'm asking you to flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord with jealousy? Are we not stronger than he? Are we? Or I'm sorry, we are not stronger than he. Are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the market, or I'm sorry, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you And you go and you eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informs you for conscience sake. I mean that your own conscience, I mean not your own conscience, but other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all of it to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. This morning, I really want to just make this simple. I want to drive this home the way that he does in a very, I know it didn't sound simple, but I promise when we work through this, you can see very clearly what he is saying here is that he is going to give us two things, two looks in this text about what we do with our freedom. He's going to say you can use your freedom irresponsibly or you can use your freedom in a responsible way. But the choice is up to us. I promise you that if you will think through what we're going to discuss today, it will help you in all the areas of your life that you feel like are gray. Where the Bible may not have a thou shalt or thou shalt not. Those areas in our lives where really we have to be what I would call discerning. Because folks, in our life, here's what you need to know. It's not always an issue of can I do it? What's the real question? Should I do it? According to the scriptures, we're free. But the question becomes, what are we free to do? Why did he free us? For what reason were we given this freedom? And so we ask the question, well, what should I do or what can I do? That's the wrong question. It's what should I do? That is what I want to drive home today is that all of us and the way that we think about the way we deal with others and the way that we align our lives with God's purposes, we should be asking the question, what should I do? Number one, we're going to answer the question first, how we use Christian freedom irresponsibly. There is an irresponsible way to deal with the freedom that we have been given. He begins in this text, and the first point is very, very obvious. Because he comes right out of the gate with what he said earlier in chapter 10. And he says, therefore, based on everything he said in the first 13 verses, he says, my beloved... These people that he cares about, these people that mean so much to him, he looks at them and he says, my beloved, I want you to flee from idolatry. I would say that probably, and I really think when you think about this, you know it's true, the greatest misuse of our freedom is idolatry. That was true in the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he was referring to. Because you see, all of us have to decide How will we respond to the salvation that God has given to us? Will we keep sinning so that he'll keep forgiving? 
Will we be content that one day we'll go to heaven? But yet we have no concerns for the kingdom of God on this earth? Do you realize that when God saves a man, he also sends a man? That he saves us not just for our own purposes, not just for our own life, but he saves us so that he might use us to fulfill his promises, so that we might go to the ends of the earth. I'm going to piggyback on Megan. She really laid a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. He has blessed us. He has saved us. Go back and think of the children of Israel. They were slaves. They were a broken people. They were a people who had no place to call their own. They had to go to Egypt to flee a famine. And they ended up staying there, and now they have found themselves not under the blessing of Pharaoh, but the yoke of Pharaoh. And they are literally slaves, and they begin to cry out to God. And God declares to them that he has a promise. A promise that was given to Abraham, a promise that was reiterated with Isaac and with Jacob. And though many had probably forgotten that God promised them a land, a people. And God says, listen, I'm going to do what I told you all the way back then. And I'm going to free you and I'm going to take you to this land that I promised you. I find it interesting that when God finally frees them, they immediately begin to struggle again. Anybody, can you relate to that? You know you're free. You know what Christ says about you. And yet we walk in this life and we find ourselves struggling again and again and again. And God has to keep reminding them, listen, you keep becoming unclean. I'm going to provide for you a way to be clean. Remember that in the Old Testament? That's the old book of Leviticus. To sacrifice these animals. I want you to see how serious sin is. Sin costs the life of another. And so every time you bring these animal sacrifices, I want you to remember how serious freedom is, what it costs for your sin to be covered, for you to be able to walk back into my presence, for me to save you, not just from the Egyptians, but I want to save you from yourself. And look at the great cost. He says there's going to be a time. Right now you need me. Right now, you want me. Right now, you need a deliverer. And he kept saying to the Jews throughout the Old Testament, I'm going to take you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I am going to take you to a place where you will have homes that you did not build. And you will have land that you did not till and you did not plant the seed. Yet here are vineyards, here are fields full of things that you didn't Even do yourself. I am going to give them to you. You're going to walk into the land and have all of these things. And remember, he told the Israelites, he said, but there's one thing you need to remember. That when I do this, and I give you your freedom, and I give you my blessing, you remember what he said? The greatest threat to you is that you will do what? You will forget me. Isn't that the story of the Old Testament Scriptures? The judges, he would save them, he would free them, he would bless them, and they would forget him over and over and over and over. And here in the New Testament, we're still asking the same question. What are you going to do with the freedom that God has given you? He says, first and foremost, make sure you don't go back to idolatry. Now, most of you in the room say, I don't have an idol problem. You can go in my house. I don't have a little Buddha. I don't have a little golden statue, silver statue. I don't worship sticks and stones. Folks, that's not all that idolatry is. For these people, there was real idolatry. There were all these temples and all these false gods and all of these graven images. They were everywhere. So the Greeks and the Jews in this time, they were still very much could easily be involved in idolatry. That's why he literally gives you the two examples that you're kind of wondering why is that in there when he talks about communion and he talks about the Jewish sacrificial system. He's saying to them, I want you to remember that you don't need to be part of these worship services. You don't need to be part of these temple uh, uh, things that are going on. You obviously don't need to be with the temple prostitutes. You obviously don't need to be going in and, and buying the trinkets and doing the things that these others are doing as they worship because he says it matters who you worship. 
He says, in the Christian idea, understand that when we take the Lord's Supper, that's what he's going to say in verses 15 on. He says, think about the Lord's Supper. We gather together and we share in the taking of the bread and the blood, right? And he says that there is a oneness that pulls us together in a fellowship, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that his presence is there. There is something about coming together. I mean, isn't that what we want when we gather here? It's not enough to have our presence. What good does it do if we all just sit in a room? What do we want? We want the Spirit of God here. We want the presence of God here. And he's saying it was no different for the Jews in communion. That's what it's all about. He said even for the Jews, when they would offer sacrifices, it was about having a right relationship with God. And even the, 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 the sacrificing of the animals, he said you would take a sacrifice, they would kill the animal, some of it would be offered up and burnt up. Other parts of it would go to the priest to sustain he and his family. And then other times, some of the times, parts would go back to you as a family where you would then gather together with your family and your friends and you would celebrate the goodness of God. And he's saying, and I am there with you. And he says, so you need to be very careful that while you're in the world, you're not of the world. You need to be very careful. He was saying to them that it's one thing to go and, and into the marketplace and you may come across meat. He says, don't ask where it came from because it doesn't matter where it came from. At the end of the day, false gods aren't real. At the end of the day, that meat being offered, it, it's, it's nothing because those gods are nothing. He says, in that regard, eat meat that's been offered to idols because you're not worshiping those idols. You're not in the presence of, 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 a, of, of a false god because he says they don't exist. He says, but I do want you to remember demons exist. And they want you to worship anything but God. And so you say today, well, where do we have idol worship? Listen, we are idol-making factories. We love to make idols. And you say, well, I don't have sticks and stones and all those things. Listen, you don't have to have that to have an idol. The question about an idol is, what do you cling to? What do you love more than you love God? In fact, I want you to think about the basic commandment that God gave us. He says, you shall love me. How? With all. How much? Undivided. Love and loyalty to me with all your heart, soul, mind, with all of your strength. And then he says, and you must love other people. I mean, that's the basis for everything that God shared with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. It is the basis for why he came and gave us the gift of his son. And I want you to think with me for a moment. How many things in your life do you think that you can't live without that's not Jesus? How many things are in your life have you put in the way of what Jesus has commanded you to do? So that ultimately what you're doing is you're either serving those things or you're serving yourself, but you're not serving God. I want you to think this morning about the thing in your life that you say, I can't be happy unless I have blank. Because anything that's not Jesus, anything that's not your relationship with the Lord, anything else that you put there that you think you need or you can't be happy or you can't be fulfilled or you can't survive without it, those things are what have become idols in your life. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's a relationship. For some people, it's a career. For some people, it's fame. And we pursue those things. For some people, it's just things. For some people, it's relaxation. For some people, I mean, it can be so many different things that we pursue that aren't him. And they actually get in the way of us being obedient to him, pursuing him, loving him, worshiping him. And he says, so what do you do with your freedom? Let me ask you this way, church. This is probably the simplest way. 
most of us, myself included, if I am not careful, what I find is that I want God and so I've got one foot in the church and I've got one foot firmly in the world. And you know what Jesus says about that? He says you can't have it both ways. You can't love God and money. You can't love God and the world. You have to choose. And he said, I have freed you so that you can choose to follow me, to worship me, to obey me, to love me. I've given everything, all that you need for life and godliness. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my son who has purchased your forgiveness and given you the power to be an overcomer. Idolatry is probably the greatest misuse of freedom, but also let's just narrow down on a couple more things. Sin is a misuse of our freedom. How tragic that we're like a bird who has been set free and the cage door has been opened, but we won't fly out of it. (laughs) We just keep sinning. We, We just keep choosing many times in our life to sin. And we forget who Jesus says that we are. He says, I freed you not so that you might sin. I freed you so that you might not sin. Do we use our freedom that way? Do we believe God? Do we trust God? Do we have faith? Because ultimately that's what we're saying is, God, I believe you that you can sanctify me. Most of the salvation that is occurring in your life day by day from now to the time that you die, it's not justification. It's not glorification. It's what the Bible calls sanctification, where day by day he is freeing you from sin and helping you become more and more like Jesus. And when we say, I'm just a sinner, you realize what you're saying. You're calling God a liar because he says, no, you're more than that. That's who you were. It's not who you are. I haven't seen him open a letter with uh, greeting sinners. How does he open his letters? He greets the, the what? The what? The saints. He calls you a saint. He knows that Christ paid the price for your sin, that he took the penalty of your sin, and he's broken the power of sin in your life. He knows there's a day coming when you won't even be in the presence of sin anymore. And he tells you, you know what? You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You're dead to sin. How can you live in it any longer? He says it ought to be our cry, the cry of our heart not to just live in sin knowing and believing that we are forgiven, but to take that freedom and to live differently. Selfishness is a misuse of our freedom. When you think about selfishness, this life that you've been given with all the blessings, that's what Megan was hinting at, that all that God has done for you, are you going to absorb it on yourself or are you going to say, God, thank you for the blessing. God, thank you for the revelation of who you are. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. And I am going to not just receive it, but I'm going to be a conduit through which you can bless the rest of the world. You see, the true picture of a believer i believe when we look like jesus then we give we're known for caring about another person and not just ourselves and we're going to get into that in the second part as well idolatry is a misuse sin is a misuse selfishness is a misuse causing others to stumble is a misuse and we're going to hit that here in just a minute too then when we think about the misuse of our freedom Folks, some things may be right. Some things we may be able to say that I can do it in a clear conscience if it's just me doing it. 
But then there are other moments when we have to think not just of ourselves, but we've got to think of other people. So let's answer that question. We had, we had how we use Christian freedom irresponsibly, and we listed those four things. Now let's look at how we use Christian freedom responsibly. Let's flip it over and look at the other side, because that's what he does for us, beginning in verse 23. He says, here's what I want you to know, that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, my translation says. Your translation says that not all things are probably beneficial. And folks, logically, we know that's true. Because we can doesn't mean that we should. I guess all of us have the freedom and the right to stay up till 5 in the morning playing video games. Let me ask you the question, is that profitable, men? It may be legal. It may be lawful, but I would say it's probably not profitable. It's not beneficial. And folks, it's not just that. There are a million things in our life that as we have to decide and think through and and discern what is the right thing in our life, we've got to ask these questions. Listen, I guess you're free to be brutally honest with people, but when your wife says, does this make me look fat? Gentlemen, you don't have to say yes. You don't have to say no. Change the subject. Or say, baby, you look good. I don't care what you're wearing. You may be free to say anything, but I would say it's not beneficial. Think about things like that in your life. There are things that we just know it isn't the right time to say it. It isn't the right time to do it. So we've got to think through what are those moments? What are those ways? Junk food is another one that, I mean, for me, that's probably one of my biggest struggles is we can sit back and say, yes, I'm free to eat whatever I want to eat. But the reality is there are certain things that while it may be lawful, it may not be what? It's just not beneficial. And so we all see how we struggle on day-to-day issues like this. But you know what the reality is? That spiritually, it even goes deeper than that. Think about what you watch. And how do you discern what you watch? Because let's be honest, the ratings they give us, they don't really help us that often. But you have to be able to discern. Is this beneficial? And secondly, look at the second thing that he says. Our freedom should be used on that which is not just beneficial, but that which is edifying or that which is constructive or that which builds up. It makes us stronger. In life, the things that we do are generally building us up or they're tearing us down. They're making us more godly or less godly. More like Jesus or less like Jesus. Think about the words that you use. They have great power to do one of two things. They will either encourage or discourage. There's almost no neutral. There's almost no words that that in some way just have no effect. All of them have an effect. And he says, so everything that you're doing, you've got to ask in these two ways. So if you were looking at something like a movie, let's just take a movie for instance. There are a lot of movies, there's a lot of music that, you know what, even with an R rating, the discerning mind can look at it and say, this is something that, you know what, I can watch. I think Saving Private Ryan, I think of movies like The Passion of the Christ. These are movies that are either war movies or they have The Passion of the Christ. The reason it's rated R is not language, it's not sexual content. What is it? It's just the extreme violence of the crucifixion itself. And so we have to figure out how do we discern? Because we could also sit back and say, well, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not watch anything above PG-13, so therefore I can watch anything. You might be able to say, well, it's lawful to watch anything, but the reality is, is it beneficial? Does it build you up? Or is it going to bring you down? Think about it in the hearts and minds of your children, the things that they watch, the things that they listen to, the things that they read. You can sit back all day long and say, well, it's legal and it's, 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 it's not unlawful. But is it good? Is it right? Is it holy? Does it lead them to Christ or away from Christ? 
When you think about what's something that edifies, here's another one that I see in our culture today. Because really, folks, the practicality of this is into everyday decisions that we make over and over and over. Most of us live in the mentality, almost everybody post-World War II lives in the mentality that, you know what, I want my kids to have a better life than I have, right? Do you see where that is taking us? Do we have the freedom to do that? To give our kids anything and everything? Sure we do. It's your money. It's your things. It's your life. We can sit there and and there's no debating those type things. But let me ask you a question. What happens when we raise a generation where we said, well, you know what, I can do it and I want to do it, but we didn't ask the question, should I do it? Because you know what's missing in this generation? People don't know how to work anymore because everything's been given to them. Children are coming out of high school and college and they've been told and they've come to believe that, you know what, they should have everything and more what their parents have and they don't realize it took you a lifetime to build it. And when do they want it? When do they think they should have it? Right now. And they have a horrible work ethic. And we are teetering on a completely broken economy. Why? Because we've got more people saying, give it to me, and less people saying, I have to earn it. And you see how it seems so good? I want my kids to have better than me. Well, make them work as hard as you worked. Does that make sense? Teach them to have integrity. The way that hopefully you earned all of that with integrity. Teach them how to be a man. Teach them how to be a woman. And to live life. And to work hard. Rather than catering to every whim... You know what we really need to do? I mean, Melanie and I, this was a big deal for us. We worked very hard to teach our children to be content. Because we knew ultimately in life that the world says have more, have more, have more. You'll only find contentment in more. We tried to teach our children that, you know what, we must be content with what we have. Because you know what the cost was for me to live that way for them. And this is what most men ultimately think in the back of their head. I want to give them a better life. I want to give them a better life. And what they've done is they've worked so hard that they're never home. And so you gave them things when all they really wanted was what? You. And you can say it's lawful what I did. I'm free to do that. In this culture, that is, that's honored. That is, that is applauded. You just work and work and work to give your children things. And all the while, all they long for is a relationship with a mom or a dad that isn't actually there. And they're never content. That's, what we're, that's what's at stake when we say, I can do it, but should I do it? Our freedom should be used for the good of others. Verse 24 should be life-altering for all of us. Let no one. Let no one seek. You ready for this? His own good. But that of his neighbor. What he is telling you is that your freedom was given to you, not for you, but for everyone else in your life. Boy, that that really starts getting in the way of the American dream, doesn't it? That really starts crushing the thoughts that we've had all of our life. That I take care of me and my four and no more. 
We live in a culture who has the most toys wins, right? What if we finally come to realize that you know what the truth is? That God, his kingdom looks completely opposite of this world's kingdom. And the last are first. (laughs) And if you seek anything other than God, you may find it, you may gain it, but he says that in the end, what have you done? You've lost it all. Think about those words. As believers in Jesus Christ, I would think that all of us want to have the mind of Christ. I want to think like him. I want to understand what matters to him and what he says is important. And literally, the one time in the Bible where it says, have this mind in you that was also in Jesus, the words that follow that one statement, out of all the things you could think in the universe that it could possibly say, have the mind of Christ. Here's how God thinks. Here's what matters to him the most. Out of that statement comes the following comment. In Philippians chapter 2, consider others better than yourself and put their needs before your needs. That's the mind of Christ. You say, that's crazy. No, that's the cross. That's the cross of Christ. That's the gospel. That he had heaven and he left it. He he lived in perfection, but he came to a sin-sick world. He was the creator of who by no means ever should have or could have allowed, right, in our minds, if we were in charge, if we were the king, if we were the God, the creator of it all, do you think it would be in our sinful minds to let that which we created kill us? That we would endure the shame of the cross? And yet Jesus, thinking of you, God the Father, thinking of you, he would send his son to die in our place, to suffer at our hands, to be rejected, to be mocked. And folks, don't ever forget, he had the freedom to call a legion of angels whenever he wanted. He had the freedom to say, stop, and we would have stopped just like wind and waves. And that is not the story of his life at all. He was humble. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And see, when you, I just want you to get this. When you say, I am following Jesus, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. Not, I'll go to church on Sunday. Not, I'll give a little money here and there. Not, I'll be baptized because grandma wants me to, or I'll help an old lady across the street every once in a while. No, no, no. What if he says, I want you to give your life as a ransom for many? You see, but most of us, we don't even realize how much we need this message. I'm going to harp on this one more time. I've seriously thought about, you know what? The best thing I can do is just do the songs, and when it comes to worship time and the the preaching of the word, just not be standing there. And let y'all just sit in here for an hour and think about the fact that, you know what? The pastor is down there working in the preschool. Why? Why? Because we don't have people to work the preschool. In a church of 600 people, it it grates me to think it's our kids, it's our children who need a teacher to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our kids. And because 
we can't commit because well, we got a lake house, we got a beach house, we got a boat, we got uh, sports, we got uh, a Sunday school class. You know, we've been in there 30 years. The thought of leaving it, we just can't stomach it. Well, how about you not stomach the fact that we've got children who don't have teachers? And instead of saying, you know what, this is an inconvenience for me, how about we say, hey, you know what? I'm going to put the needs of children above my own perceived needs. Because I shouldn't have to say it 20 times. Terry shouldn't have to beg. You know how she spends, while, while everybody else is doing whatever they like to do on Saturdays, you know what Terry Zimmerman's doing? Hey, can I get a sub? Nope, I like my Sunday school class. Hey, can I get a sub? Nope, we're going to be gone again. We don't come in the summers. Hey, can we need a sub? Nope. That's how she spends every single Saturday trying to find people to teach your kids. I bet she would love to have a Saturday off because she knows, you know what? Hepsi was going to take care of their own children. We need four more. We need a class for children. We need four more. It's time we get up and we do something about it. And you say, well, we have a class of empty nesters and we just like our class. We've always been in it. Good. You know what empty nesters can do? They can meet on Thursday in their own home. I'll unlock the doors of the church on Thursday and let you meet up here on Thursday. It don't matter what day you meet. You ain't got kids at home. College kids, same thing. Single without kids, same thing. Career, same thing. Meet on another night so you can serve. How many times are we going to say, I can't do missions because I've got boom, 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 boom. I only get two weeks vacation. I'm pretty sure it would really honor God if we took the blessing of being in a country where we actually have food and we don't have to go out every day to work. Most of the countries around the world, they're still sending missionaries. And when they leave for the day or the week, their family doesn't hardly eat. And when people in Ethiopia are coming to America as missionaries, shame on America. <laughs> shame, shame on America. Because we've been blessed. Folks, we've got to give our lives because he has given us his life so that we might follow Jesus and be used for his kingdom's sake. Now, there is other very practical things about this that you guys understand and know. That not only are we talking about the big picture spiritual things that we just discussed, but the reality is it is even as simple as how do we treat other people, whether they be Jews, whether they be Greeks for them, whether they be the church, whether they be an enemy. Do you realize that we should be willing to make decisions based on other people? What I mean by that is, listen, I don't believe that all secular music is bad. That's where I'm at in my discernment. Some Christians believe if it isn't gospel or Christian or from a Christian label that somehow it's detrimental to life and it's going to be a hindrance to people spiritually. I don't hold that view or opinion. There are a lot of good songs out there. I love country music, man. It makes me cry about the dad and daughter dances and, and giving her away and all that stuff. They're not cussing. There's not a bunch of language in those songs that I choose to listen to. It's neither good nor bad. It's, that's not the issue. Now, are there songs that you probably should choose to turn off? Yes. But you've got to be discerning. And so guess what? If I'm around a person who sits in my truck and I know that they are of the belief that secular music is the devil, then guess what? I'm not going to sit there and go, hey, you know what? Buckle up because I'm free. Van Halen. <laughs> Enjoy it. I got tons of time in my car I can listen to Van Halen. Van Halen. Pastor Bill, you don't know Van Halen? <laughs> trying to think of what you would know how great thou art. how great (laughs) 
Don't let him lie. He did the YMCA up on this stage. Don't even, he's just being holier than thou. I watched him in an outfit up here dancing to YMCA, so don't even, don't even listen to him. You think I'm going to let that go, Pastor? But you're trying to throw me under the spiritual bus. Come on. I know you do. And he danced to Lowrider, just so you know. If you don't believe it, I have it on video. Miss Joanne, too, so laugh it up, Joanne. All right? Yeah, yeah. I have it. I'll sh- you know what? Remind me, I'll show you all next week. Um, but you know, you know what their reality is? There's times where you just know. You know, some people don't like you to use certain words where you grew up in a home where you say stupid, but other people are like, you can't use the word stupid. That's offensive. So you know what? You just, you just don't say it. You recognize who you're around and for the benefit of another's conscience, you just make a choice. Same thing. I mean, listen, whether it be a cigar, whether it be, there's so many things in life where we have to figure out how to be discerning. Some of y'all are like, well, no pastor would ever smoke a cigar. Well, Spurgeon, there were other, and he wasn't the only one. B.H. Carroll, there were many. They know they didn't mind smoking a cigar, but I doubt they would smoke a cigar in the presence of someone who was offended by the fact that they smoke a cigar. You got to be discerning. You got to care about the spiritual growth of other people. You don't want to be a hindrance. You don't want to be a stumbling block to them. And so think of others before you think of yourself. And here is the most important one. That our freedom should be used, most importantly, for the glory of God. He said, listen, when you're in the marketplace, don't ask where the meat came from. It doesn't matter. However, if you heard that it came from meat offered to idols and a person was offended you might buy it, don't buy it. So you see how in one regard, if you were there by yourself, it would be right. But if you were there with this person, it would be wrong. You understand the difference? He says, be discerning. And he says, because when we are discerning and when we are asking the question, should we instead of can I, we suddenly become more concerned about others, more concerned, most importantly, about the glory of God and what he has to say in things. And so you know what he says? He says, listen, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you're doing, he says, how should we do it? Every bit of it for the glory of God. This should be the overriding principle. In any questionable situation, will my actions cause God's glory to be advanced or diminished? And you say, why do I have to worry about that? Because if you claim Christ, it's like my kids. You leave my house and you're taking my name. I want you to act right. I want you to do what's right. I want you to honor our family, your dad, your granddad, your great-granddad, and honor that name. When you go out and you are a Christian, everything that you do represents who? It represents Jesus. We expect it of our soldiers. We expect it of our teachers. We expect it of our police officers. Because we recognize that, you know what, when one falters, when one fails, who does it reflect? Every other one. And it matters how we live. Because it's not just for our glory that we're living. In fact, we're not living for our glory at all. We only live for the glory of God. And so we have to ask the question every day with every decision, does this honor God? Will it bring him glory or will it rob him of glory? Will his reputation be enhanced or tarnished because of my actions? As the band comes this morning, we've got a lot to think about. The reality is, as you look at this text, a lot of it has to do with how we live amongst each other as believers, with unbelievers, with people in our culture and our communities. How are you going to live your life? I love the story that comes out of the tradition of a family that lived on Mount Moriah where the temple eventually would be built in Israel. 
that prior to the building of the temple, that there, the story says that there was a family that lived there. And it was made up of two brothers. One brother was single. The other brother had a family, a wife, children. They lived in complete unity. I mean, when you looked at this family, I mean, to think that they lived under the same roof and they shared everything that they had, they loved each other, they worshiped together, they served together, they worked together, the fields, and they split everything that they had. And one year when they were out and they were harvesting, they took the harvest of the wheat and they put it into two piles. They divided it completely even because that's what they had always done. They both worked hard. They both should share the profits. That was what seemed right. One night, when they were both in bed, the single guy felt this conviction that he couldn't shake. And he thought to himself, you know what? Even though I have a right to half of this wheat, my brother's got a family to support, a wife and children. I would love to bless them. And so he went out in the middle of the night and he took some of his wheat and he put it on his brother's stack. His brother got up after that and looked at his wife and said, Sweetheart, I just feel for my brother. I'm blessed. I have a wife. I have children. We have this home. And it'd be a blessing to just take more of that weed and make sure that, that he gets more of it. So both he and his wife got up and they shifted some of the wheat out of their pile into his. You can imagine their shock the next morning when they got up and the stacks were even again. And not say anything the next day, one got up to go shift the stack again. And when he got to the stack, there was his brother doing the exact same thing. You can imagine the love they felt in that moment how life-giving that was to see how these two men cared more about the other than themselves. And what was so interesting was that when you live your life to out-bless each other, do you see how everybody is blessed? That nobody was going to be wanting? If we would live that way, it would change everything. If we cared more about the other person, more about God, that we make sure that it's Jesus and others and then us. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your word that challenges us to live differently. Lord, we love you and we want to be like you. And Lord, that means that we have to die to ourselves, that we've got to deny ourselves. And there's a cross to be picked up and we have to follow you. And Lord, that's going to look different than it does today for every one of us in this room. Lord, things need to change. Our hearts need to change. Our priorities need to change. Lord, help us to see the people around us. Lord, we walk by so concerned about our own schedules and our own kingdom and our own day that we seldom even see those people. Lord, sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. Lord, when we could offer a harsh word, when we could offer condemnation and say that we're right in doing it, Lord, should we choose grace and mercy? a second chance, a third chance. 70 times 7. Lord Jesus, I really believe that this message has the potential to impact our lives so drastically if we would just come to you with a soft heart today and let you speak to us. And if we would respond, Lord, I pray today that you would fill this preschool. 
Lord, there's got to be four people who will sacrifice, who will give. Lord, I pray that Terry starts to get what all of us have, and that's a Saturday off, a chance to be with family and friends instead of on the phone. Lord, that rests in us more than her. So Lord, help us to help her, to love our kids, to be there for them. Lord, I believe that you can fill these spots. It's probably never happened in the years I've been at Hepzibah that it's actually been full. But Lord, I'm sick of excuses of why it can't be. Lord, I've made them. The church has made them. Lord, it's time that we say no excuses. Father, we just ask today that you would allow us to spend a few moments with you, every individual praying and asking you to reveal light into our lives. How are we using our freedom? Are we misusing it or are we using it for your glory? Lord, you've given us everything. Don't let us forget you. And Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, give them a heart to cry out to you today for the forgiveness of sins. May they ask you, Lord, to forgive them, to cleanse them. Lord, may they turn from their wickedness and their sinfulness. Lord, the way all of us have that are following you. Lord, you saved us from our sin. You saved us from ourselves. And Lord, you'll do it again if they'll ask you. And Lord, give them faith to believe that you died on the cross for their sins, that you broke the power of sin when you died there. And you were buried and you rose again. Lord, you can offer us life and forgiveness and freedom. And Lord, with that freedom, may we turn it back to you and surrender. And Lord, if someone here needs to pray for forgiveness and believe and surrender, Lord, may they do it today. And may they have the courage to come out when we're singing and to say, Pastor Aaron, I've given my life to Christ. I've prayed for that forgiveness today. And I want to be baptized and I want to be part of this church. Give them courage to come out while everyone's singing, while everyone is praying, and to just make that decision known. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray that you'd meet us here in this moment and help us to respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 